Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Smart Muslimer podcast. Inshallah, if you find this podcast episode useful, please subscribe and tell your friends and family about Smart Muslimer. Also, good news, I have a newsletter and that's how we can stay in touch. To subscribe, please go to smartmuslimer.com. Details are also in the podcast notes. In the newsletter, I'll be sharing my book recommendations, productivity tips, and online courses that I've created, and also information about a new book that I'm writing called Smart Single Muslimer. Inshallah, it will help you to transform the way you approach love and relationships. In today's episode, I will be exposing feminism. That's the title of the episode. And as you know, I have been researching and reading about this topic for a long time. And I want to now explain in an easy to understand way what feminism is so that you as an intelligent Muslim woman can decide whether or not you're going to adopt this or not. You know, the slogans were given so... It's freedom, it's equality, it's liberating, it's empowering. You need to be a feminist. And it's become something so ingrained in society, like we shouldn't even question it, but we are going to question it. So first thing we need to do is understand where did feminism come from? Where are its roots? Yeah, because we have Islam. The roots of Islam are the Quran, the the Sunnah. You know, we believe in Allah. We have the Quran, which was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. These are our roots. These are our foundations for where we get how to decide our, you know, daily actions. How we decide if we want, you know, our role as a mother. You know, that's where we, that's where it comes from. You know, our role as a daughter. Um, so, where has feminism? What are feminism's roots? So, the first thing to understand is feminism is a man-made idea. 
or we can even say woman, when I say man-made, human beings came up with the idea of feminism. Okay, now why? Why did feminism come into being? Now we have to go back a little bit in history to um, the, the birth of liberalism because feminism it's an, comes is a branch, is a part of liberalism. So what is liberalism? Now liberalism is, it's the most influential ideology in the world today. That's something, you know, we live in liberal, out liberal democracy. So the UK and the US, they are liberal democracies. And so liberalism, the idea first came in the 15th and 16th century. Um, what you had Europe was Catholic back then. And um, the Bible was in Latin. It was not translated into French, German, or um, I can't remember, think of the, another language that they spoke at the time. Um, but the people, your average person, could not pick up a Bible and understand it. It had to be that if they wanted to understand what God wanted them to do, they had to refer to a priest and to a pope. Okay, so that's the way religion was back then. Now, the religious leaders back then, they were corrupt. They used religion for the, to become wealthy. They used it to gain power, to gain status. Now, you had a man called Martin Luther. He argued that Christianity could assume a more individualistic character. The believers, so the believers could undertake their own private prayers and there was no need for them to have, they, you didn't need a pope and a priest, okay? And what that period was called, was called the Reformation. The, the Catholicism was being reformed, it was being changed. And then what you also had at that time was um, the Bible was then translated from Latin into the languages that people were speaking. So now, so that was the first idea. People now, Christians now had access to the Bible. And this was actually the time when Protestantism, uh, you know, the Protestant church, that's when it came about. It comes to the word protest. So, OK, so that was an important thing that you that happened. Now, then what also happened was um, uh, you had the Enlightenment happened in Europe. Now, um, this is, I'll explain, this will all link in the end. So the Enlightenment was an intellectual movement that emerged in the 17th century. It was a belief in reason rather than faith, promoted debate, inquiry and questioned religious beliefs. So you now had religious um well, so you had philosophers, so people who thought, would think, you know, questioned life and the purpose of life and how we should live our life. They um, were questioning why is religion, you know, so should it be so important? I got so God's law, what God wants, according to Christianity, remember, why should that, why is that so important? And what they came to the conclusion you know, and again, this is this happened over many years, and there were many philosophers involved in the the um, creation of these ideas. What they decided they thought was should happen is each individual has free will. Individuals are the best judge of their own interests. As individuals, life should be shaped by their actions and decisions. Um, and then on top of this, monarchs do not have to be instinctively obeyed by the subjects because the kings at that time had absolute they had divine right to 
make laws. You know, they could basically they could they could do whatever they wanted. So you now had this idea that um, people, individuals, they can decide what is good for them. They should be free to do what is good for themselves. Now, now then, where does religion come into this? So the idea of the idea of secularism, either religion should be kept separate, should be put to the edges, like the periphery of your life. It shouldn't have a massive impact on your public life in particular. That began to be, you know, popular as well. So um, in your private life, you could be religious, you know, you pray. And there was also this idea of toleration. You should tolerate other people's religions. So, you know, Protestants and Catholics, they used to have disagreements. Kings and queens uh, in Europe for hundreds of years, they'd fought each other over religion. You know, if you know, think of Queen Elizabeth I and Henry VIII, you know. So what they wanted, what the thinkers, like, for example, John Locke is a very famous thinker. He's, he's known as the father of liberalism. He, him and other philosophers, basically, they came to the conclusion we should be, um, we, we should have a secular state where it's not God that decides the laws, it's people, yeah? Um, and so the state was not part of God's creation. You know, he, that human beings, are. we've got a mind, you know, we're rational, you know, we should be able to create a political system, um, laws and rules that will be good for us rather than religion, yeah? Now, this is a very um, condensed version of how liberalism came about. You can do more research on this. But so you now had what over, you know, hundreds of years, what you then had was in Europe, um, it was in France, think of the French Revolution and um, the American Revolution, you know, in America, you know, so when um, you first had the British were in charge of America and then the people in America, basically, they overthrew the British government. They said, that, no, we want to, we don't want the British ruling us. So they were now liberal um, governments. The governments were based on this idea that man, and it was men at that time, would make the laws. You know, they would govern. You can still be religious. That's a, God is there, but you keep it in a, in a more secular way. God shouldn't have a very big influence. And over time, the influence of religion, Christianity in particular, it became less and less. So that's how liberalism came about so liberals they believe that there are certain natural rights three in particular that every human being has they have the right to life they have the right to liberty so that means freedom everyone is entitled to do anything they want as long as it doesn't conflict with someone else's liberty some you know someone else's life um, freedom and then there's also the idea you're entitled to own or create and gain wealth and property and trade that's something that you have, have should have the right to property um, so now um, just as a side point uh, John Locke um, who is like I said the father of liberalism he was a slave owner so it's interesting that he um and he was actually had shares in a, in a slave, um, like a corporation, a um, you know a company that bought and sold slaves. So it's very interesting that one the founding father of liberalism, 
spoke about the importance of everyone having the right to life, the right to freedom, the right to ownership, and he enslaved other human beings. Yeah, so that you, straight away, I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy of the founding fathers and the thinkers of um, uh, liberalism, you know, because ultimately when human beings make law, you know, come up with ideas, they are not going to be perfect and they are going to be biased. And here he was, a, he was a hypocrite. Again, you can research this yourself. John Locke was a slave owner. Okay, going back. Now, so if you're a liberal, you believe in individualism. So it's a really vital principle of, um, you know, of the ideology. It means an individual's needs should be at the heart of political thought economic life and social organisation. So, so society should prioritise the improvement of individuals' lives. So it's true, that's making me think um, liberalism is quite a selfish ideology. If you're liberal, your individual, what you want as an individual comes above society. You know, I'm thinking then, well, what about family? What about if I as an individual... If I want to do things that are going to harm wider society, then isn't that going to cause problems? But that's what liberals believe and that's what liberalism believes in. So let's move on to, so as time went on, you now had, there was a, the first wave of feminism. It's called the first kind of important thinker, you know, or and philosopher of feminism was Mary Wollstonecraft. Okay, so she wrote a book called, um, let's find out the name of her book again. It was called Vindication of the Rights of Woman. Now, she was a liberal. Yes, she was a liberal. So she agreed with these ideas that I've just explained. And what she then thought was, well, um, society at that time, she published this book in, well, sorry, it was a pamphlet, you know, um, it was called, uh, it, this was in 1790. Okay, so what she was, she then said was that women should, at that time, so again, remember, this is a still a Christian society. And although Christianity wasn't, in, you know, um, people got married called Christianity, it was, um, had a, still had a big influence. It just, you know, just didn't have, it didn't have the influence as far as making all the laws and controlling government. But what she saw was that, okay, um, women are being, for example, they are not given the same rights as men. In particular, women could not vote um, in, in elections at that time. Women could not own property. Women could not, um, for example, inheritance rights. They were, um, were very limited and um, they didn't have the same, you know, they couldn't, so these were things that she thought this isn't if if we are liberals, you know, if she believes in liberal liberalism, she's saying as a liberal, this isn't right. Women should have the same opportunities and rights to freedom, to um, equality, you know, to um, fulfilling their needs. That should be the same as a man. And so she expand, expanded the boundaries of liberalism to include women in the political structure of society. In her writings, she commented on society's view of, of 
of women and encourage women to use their voices in making decisions separate from decisions previously made for them. So um, at that time, women were not allowed to vote in elections. They didn't have access to education and they had no property rights. So when Mary Wollstonecraft, she was speaking about equality and rights, that this is one aspect of um, what she was talking about. And so we've all heard about the suffragettes. So this happened in the 19th century. Suffragettes, this was in the 19th century. Um, they were then calling for the vote for women. And that time period <coughs> is known as the first wave of feminism. And that was the main, you know, property rights, votes and access to education. That's what women wanted, Briti women in Britain and then around Europe as well. That's what they were calling for. Now, just as a side note, in Islam, women already had the right to education. There's no, you know, in Islam, men and women should both gain an education, Islamic education, education about the world. You know, the right, uh, women had the right to, were given the right to own property a lot, you know, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ when the Quran was revealed. Now, as far as um, voting, um, within, in, within Islamic governance, in an Islamically governed, you know, state, so in the Khilafah and, and in Medina at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, women did give bayah to the Prophet ﷺ, which means they give pledge their allegiance. It's different to voting as we know it. And that's something we can talk about in another episode. But as far as we Muslims and Muslim women and were already given these rights by Allah a very long time ago compared to women in Europe. But this is what the European women had to fight for. And I can understand why they would want it. You know, so no one saying what they wanted was, was incorrect. But again, we have to understand that where the history of feminism was coming from. And remember, again, this is a Christian society and um, that what was written on in the Bible, we don't believe that's the word of, of God. That was written by, the Bible is written by men. And so the rules and views about women that they had were based on their bias, yeah, based on what they wanted. Um, and so again, now the laws that men were making at that time, they again were biased to what will be good for, for men, what will, um, you know, and really, it, more than even men, it was more the ruling elite, the upper class. And that's who was in charge back then. And they were all men at the time. Okay, so that was the beginning of feminism. Let's fast forward to 1960s, which is when the second wave of feminism began. So the focus now was on um, looking at issues ranging from sexuality, family, the workplace, reproductive rights of a woman, as well as domestic violence and marital rape. So what women in America in particular, which is where it started, what they started to look at was um, the role of women in the family and um, how far they could reach as far as education, you know, the types of jobs that they could uh, be given. And there's a very famous book by Betty Friedan, called The Feminine Mystique. And she was discussing primarily uh, white women um, who explicitly objected to how women were depicted in the mainstream media and how placing them at home limited their possibilities and wasted their potential. 
she had helped conduct a very important survey using her old classmates from Smith College. This survey revealed that women who played a role at home and the workforce were more satisfied with their life compared to women who stayed at home. The women who stayed at home showed feelings of agitation and sadness. She concluded that many of these unhappy women had immersed themselves in the idea that they should not have any ambitions outside their home. Uh, Frieden described this as the problem that has no name. The perfect nuclear family image depicted and strongly marketed at the time, she wrote, did not reflect happiness and was rather degrading for women. So that's one of the books that had a, a big impact on, on the views of um, feminists at that time and then on, on women in general. So now what we, there was another interesting thing that happened. In 1963, a freelance journalist, Gloria Steinman, gained widespread popularity amongst feminists after a diary she authored while working undercover as a Playboy bunny waitress at the Playboy Club. Playboy is, um, you know, that filthy magazine that has pictures of naked women. And then you had this Playboy Club was, you would have waitresses wearing very skimpy outfits as waitresses. So she went undercover. So this was published as a two-part feature and in her diary, Steinman alleged the club was mistreating its waitresses in order to gain male customers and exploiting the Playboy bunnies as symbols of male chauvinism, noting that the club's manual instructed the bunnies that there are many pleasing ways they can employ to stimulate the club's liquor volume. By 1968, Steinman had become arguably the most influential figure in the movement, the feminist movement, as support for legalised abortion and federally, fed, sorry, federally funded daycares had become the two leading objectives for feminists. So this idea, so this moves on to the abortion and the right to uh, basically have sex for women. They should have the right to have sex before marriage. The pill was um, then became available during this time as well. So these were, you know, having re that's what it means by reproductive rights and the full control over your own body. That's something that feminists do believe women should have. And so the rights of the child are secondary to the rights of the mother, woman, who whether she wants to have the baby or not. That That's a very important thing to, to understand. And so also within, if your, your sexual rights also meant if you wanted to be gay, if you want to be a lesbian, that is completely, for feminists, that is completely okay. That is a right of a woman. If she wants to, she can choose her, the number of sexual partners she has, the type of sexual partner she has. No one should tell her what she can do with her body. And that's something really important to understand because if we go back to, lib you know, remember what liberalism believes, that individuals, if if you're, you can fulfil your needs the way you want to, as long as you're not harming anyone else, that, that's the idea. Um, so if a woman, two con women want to consent to having a relationship, then they should have that. Um, and the uh, birth control became, um, you know, a really big thing in the 1960s that, there were, um, you know, workshops and, you know, literature was printed to and distributed in universities amongst uh, young single women that they need to know their rights and that they should, basically, they should be able to, men can sleep around, so now women, women should be able to sleep around. Yeah, they shouldn't be tied down with a family 
you know, that is no longer a goal because remember what in, in the feminine mystique, um, Betty Friedan was saying that, you know, a nuclear family, a husband, wife and two children, you know, two kids, that is degrading. Yeah. So can you see how this is, um, this isn't something that's spoken about and you can, nowadays you don't, this is what you don't hear in the slogans that how family is in, in feminism, family is not given importance the right, the individual rights of a woman and what she wants, however she wants it, that's what is given the most importance. Now, one thing I would mention here is that, um, you know, the second wave feminist movement also took a strong stance against physical violence and sexual assault in both the home and the workplace. And, you know, it's interesting that domestic violence such as battery and rape were rampant in post-war America. Women were often abused as a result of daily frustration in their husbands' lives. And as late as 1975, domestic battery and rape were both socially acceptable and illegal as women were seen to be possessions of their husbands. So now that, you know, it's interesting that, again, they're reacting to the problems, the real problems that women are facing. Um, but I think as, as Muslims, we also need to think, what is the cause of, you know, the cause of domestic violence, there are many reasons for it, yeah? And that is that the feminists were not addressing those underlying issues. And that's something that in future episodes we will discuss this. Um, but again, in Islam, domestic violence is, is haram. You know, rape, again, there's strong punishments against rape. The causes of rape, again, this is something uh, people don't like to speak about that. There are many reasons why rape occurs. Um, it's not just, it's not the woman's fault as far as no one is blaming the victim, but it's a society, society creates an environment which um, causes rape to happen. And not just rape of men, women, there's rape of men, there's rape of children. Yeah, so this is, we we need to think more widely uh, when we think about issues of domestic, why it happened, domestic violence. You know, again, domestic violence isn't just an issue that um, women face. So that was the second wave of feminism. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's talk about feminism today. There are two labels that are given to the feminism we have today. There's third wave and fourth wave. I'm going to just combine them together because there are so many similarities. So feminists... Uh, today now believe and are calling for um, the idea of girl power. We heard that 
you know, think of the, you know, the Spice Girls as girl power. And um, what that means partly is your sexuality is a source of power. So um, what that means is that you should, if basically your body, you can do, okay, there was reproductive rights. So if you want to have a baby, if you want to sleep around and not get married, that's okay. Now, however much of your body you want to show, that is completely up to you. So previously, there was this idea that women, you know, uh, some people say women are objectified, that their bodies are used and, you know, to sell products, they're used in advertising. And some women used to say, and I think a lot of women still do believe this, even, you know, non-Muslim feminists do believe this, that that's a, that's not a good thing. But now there's this idea that, no, you can do whatever you want to do with your body. So no one should judge a woman for how she's dressed if she wants to be a stripper, if she wants to be a prostitute, if she wants to be a, you know, um, one of those promotional girls who holds up, you know, the signs in, uh, you know, when there's fighting, like a boxing match and the women come wearing, wearing very little and they're all dressed up. Uh, these are, this is seen as completely okay. And, you know, it's um, the idea of um, your identity you know, we all have a gender, so there's male and there's female. Your gender identity, you can choose how to can you can choose your gender identity. So you know, there's a lot of discussion about now you can self-identify. So if you're a woman and tomorrow you decide you want to be a man, you can do that. You want to be called a he rather than a she. You can dress up as a man. You know, this whole this idea of transgender, so trans rights. Um, and so my opposite, you know, if a man decides tomorrow he wants to be a, a woman or wants to dress, then that is, um, feminism supports that and that's his right. He should now be identified as a, as a woman. So you see, um, that's where it's come to now. So, you know, there's the idea of there should be toilets, mixed gender toilets. You know, there's been a lot of, um, publicity about, about this whole idea and, um, that's something that when we, when we're as Muslim parents and when we're looking at that and we're slightly confused thinking, I don't understand this. Why would anyone, this, this makes no sense. It, it comes from feminists support this. Yeah. And it comes from, again, going back to liberalism, that individuals should be able to choose. Again, if I'm not harming anyone else, I have the freedom to make that choice. You know, therefore, if I want to have an operation, no one should judge me for, for wanting to do that. And so this, you can see feminism and LGBTQ rights and abortion, these are all connected. They, if you say you are a feminist, you are, kind of, you are wholesale buying into all of those ideas. And it will be very hard for you to then argue that, um, no, I don't agree with this part of it. But what is interesting is um, there are so many... I've just given you like short snippets of the, the history of feminism and what its roots are so that you're aware of where did it come from and um, this you could spend hours researching this and when I have spent time researching uh, feminism what comes through very clearly is everyone has their own version of it now you know one person will then say well I don't agree with that part of feminism but this is how I understand feminism and 
what and or they'll say you know the old feminists the first wave feminists they didn't care about ethnic minorities they didn't care about women of color but now today we do you know the old feminists were actually very um anti-muslim and they were they they said very uh they looked down on muslims they looked down on islam and um they'll say but no we don't do that we support your right to wear hijab just like it's our right it's a woman's choice if she wears a miniskirt or a low-cut top it's your choice if you want to wear a scarf on your head um that's the way that it's now presented now the problem with that is that so therefore feminism as you see it's changed over time there's no fixed truth you can say apart from this one idea that men and women are equal and I'm going to have a whole episode on that so I don't want to go into that now the whole looking at the whole idea of equality we will be discussing that soon but apart from that idea things are changing and you now have um women like um Jermaine Greer who she wrote uh was uh, in this is in the second wave feminism she was she wrote a book it was called the female eunuch um but she's written other books she, she she disagrees with feminists today that she doesn't believe in this idea that you can change your identity and you can just self-identify and you have many women um who they non-muslim women will say we don't agree with feminists today because they are very liberal and they will say that you know you should have you know you know there's in political parties there's left and there's right so there's conservatives who are on the right that's so trump in america is a conservative you know the conservative party boris johnson theresa may that's the conservative party and then you have the left so you've got um so they're the liberals um you know for example obama he he was seen as he was you know the opposite but again there is um uh, you know they both of them do hold liberal values but i'm talking just about political parties you have more feminists who agree with the left and they will so for example you know they wanted hillary clinton to be president they thought obama was great that they will argue amongst themselves conservatives and the left they will argue with each other about feminism and it's and the thing that the main point that comes through from that is that there is no fixed truth when it comes to feminism things can change now i personally i don't want to believe in something that was thought up by people by biased you know people who um make mistakes i'm not going to base the way i live and what i'm going to call for and I'm, what i'm going to work for um based on what human beings in men or women have thought up i'm going to base my life on what my creator who i have thought about that yes there's definitely a creator that the quran is the word of allah is the word of my creator i am going to follow that when it comes to how i live my life as a woman you know in the same way if i was a you know i didn't choose my identity that's what no one chose to be a man woman stuff like no one chose to be a woman in the same way no one chose to be a man that was given to us by allah and so but that's not the main thing that i that um you know forms me as a human being it's my 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 belief in my creator that's what's the most important thing you know my intelligence my heart you know they're the things that are what make me who i am and being a woman is just by the by yeah but whereas what we can see is feminism it makes being a woman the most important thing 
and everything is about making sure a woman gets everything she wants and although they say they don't hate men when you see the the things that they're calling for it is very detrimental to not only to men but to families and children I want to share with you um, a section of a public debate that was titled Is it wrong not to identify as a feminist? Uh, now, this uh, the sister that took part in this debate, her name is Zara Faris. She is part of the Muslim Debate Initiative. Um, she um, discusses Islam and feminism, you know, on, on numerous occasions, particularly talking to non-Muslims and debating um, in university campuses. So I think it would be really good to listen to um, a section of this. It also has, the debate also had two feminists. You can listen to the whole debate and watch it on my website, www.farhatameen.com. I'll have the link for it in the description below. Let's have a listen. My name is Zara Farris and I, for one, am very excited about this debate title. And this is because for several years I have focused specifically on working towards women's rights without feminism from the basis of my own belief system, which is Islam. Now, for the proposition to impose the label feminism implies that feminism has some kind of monopoly on women's rights. But just as capitalism and communism are different approaches to economics, Feminism, too, is just one approach to women's rights. And Islam, like other worldviews, provides other approaches. Now, um, very briefly, Islam enshrined women's rights to property, women's right to work, and that leaders could only be legitimized with the consent of both women as well as men, all 1,300 years before Western states granted these rights to its citizens. And all this was achieved without anyone needing to identify or use the label feminist or feminism. Now, in fact, in Western secular liberal states, women's suffrage, property rights, and right to work were achieved by campaigners, as we'll go into very briefly, who didn't even use the label feminist. They didn't use the labels of feminism. Even in secular liberal states such as the UK today, polls show that actually, in around 2016, only 7% of women identify as feminist, even though the majorities of men and women actually reported believing in gender equality. They wanted the women in their lives to have the same opportunities as, as the men. Now, this shows that those who identify as feminists don't really wield any kind of monopoly on women's rights or the liberal idea of equality. And those who identify as feminists are just one group amongst the many throughout different cultures and times whose work deals with women's rights. But let's be clear, the question today isn't about those who do choose to call themselves feminists. If they want to, if you want to, whoever wants to call themselves a feminist, that is up to them. The question of this debate is, is it wrong not to? This is for those people who choose not to identify as a feminist. So should women, or even men, not have the autonomy that many feminisms invoke to choose a name that they find works better for them and their cause without facing social stigma and you know, the harsh rebuke that voting yes today would imply? Did uh, the suffragettes or the suffragists campaign under the banner of being feminists? Mary Wollstonecraft's book, uh, A Vindication of the Rights of Women, became a keystone text for women's rights, and it didn't need to create or use the label of feminism. 
What about Caroline Norton? For those of you who don't know, she pushed for women's rights uh, in the 19th century um, in child, uh, child custody law, uh, women's right to form contracts, inherit, keep uh, possession of their own earnings. She never identified herself as a feminist, and in fact, she was notoriously anti-equality between men and women. Even liberals today consciously choose not to use the label. Some report finding the term feminist or feminism an encumbrance, and with its multitude of competing uh, interpretations, factions, and divisions that have already been brought up today, they find it doesn't really add any ideological clarity to their cause or for their audiences. And in fact, many feminists seem to spend a lot of time attempting to clarify to the public what they think being a feminist means. So, should liberal campaigners for women's rights be condemned as wrong, morally wrong or, or wrong in any other way, because they choose to campaign under terms that are more publicly recognised and readily accepted and embraced in liberal societies? Terms such as women's rights activists, terms such as human rights activists, terms such as egalitarian. And because the term feminist doesn't seem to advance uh, a cause at an institutional level, like in court cases, for example, most human rights lawyers identify professionally as, well, human rights lawyers, not as, uh, you know, uh, feminist lawyers. Uh, I think even um, uh, our colleague here, Julian, identifies as a human rights lawyer. So the feminist label, historically and in law, isn't seen to augment argument. It isn't seen to advance authority in any way. And it's only mentioned twice in passing in the history of the US Supreme Court, for example. Only twice. So let's not forget that our work should be in service of justice, not in the service of the label of feminism just for its own sake, just for the sake of the label. Now, the proposition or others may argue that, you know, the label feminism, it's just about inculcating and reminding people about the equality of men and women, and that if you believe in the equality of men and women, then you're already a feminist. But if that's the case, then why do I need to identify as a feminist? And if it's merely about the equality of the sexes, then the proposition must also argue, which I sense they may be reluctant to do so, that it is wrong not to identify as a meninist or a men's rights activist, because they too define their label as belief in equality of the sexes too. Thank you. <laughs> so I haven't heard um, any reasons just yet, although we haven't from Emily yet, um, as to why feminism is still being perceived as the only solution to women's rights. We acknowledge that there are issues that women face. We acknowledge that there are these you know, trials and these difficulties. But again, why only feminism? And if somebody does choose to you know, intervene, if someone is being wolf-whistled or harassed, why is that feminism and not anything else? Why is it not another good deed from a different worldview? Why is it not anyone just being a good Samaritan? So I'd still like to hear as to why feminism should be given the sole discretion or the exclusivity on anything that does good to women. And again, just to, to reiterate, if um, I saw someone you know, uh, harassing somebody on the street, I would intervene, not because I'm a feminist, but because I like to think I'm a good person, or mainly because as a Muslim, I would be... I would be obligated to intervene, to not allow an injustice uh, to, to, to perpetuate. Uh, another point that was brought up was that, uh, you know, uh, women of the past didn't call themselves feminists, but that doesn't mean that they were not feminists. 
But the whole point of this debate is identifying as a feminist. So it's about the label, because people can, as the survey showed, believe in gender equality, believe in rights for women, without using the label feminist. So this is still about the label. And it's interesting because, and I mentioned um, one of these individuals earlier, Caroline Norton, but just for a little bit of colour on that, uh, who brought about a lot of legal changes that you know set the stage for women's movements uh, in the UK, or at least very particular key ones. Um, and I mentioned that she was actually fiercely anti-equality. Um, she wrote in her pamphlet to, to the Queen um, in the 19th century, uh, she wrote, The natural position of woman is inferiority to man. I never pretended to the wild and ridiculous doctrine of equality. And yet today, she is anachronistically slapped with the label the first feminist legislator. So it just also points to the fact that the word feminism could mean anything you want it to mean at, anyone, at, at, at any different or particular time. And this is, uh, leads to another problem that I have with the label. Now, if the purpose of identifying as something is to demarcate yourself <coughs> from a different worldview, then what's the benefit in identifying with an unclear label? It doesn't demarcate you from, from any other thing. And far from being wrong to not identify as a feminist, I guess a, a strong case could be made for people to actually use clearer terms, such as some of the ones I mentioned earlier, egalitarian, women's rights activist, if you want to focus on bringing attention to women's rights. You see, because feminism gives the latitude for feminists to come up with so many different interpretations and definitions as to what feminism is, so why does it not then give the latitude for people to come up with an interpretation that lets them decide they don't want to identify as a feminist? Surely it should have room to do that as well. And uh, just to end on, um, oh, maybe a little bit more actually, um, <laughs> um, it's a... Uh, it's, and it's also a point that um, Jordan mentioned earlier. You know, if you use the term women's rights activist, I strongly believe, and from experience as well, you can bypass a lot of the friction and pushback you get than if you use the word feminist. Uh, particularly, for, uh, for example, uh, you know, in the Muslim community, if you invoke women's rights as they are enshrined in, in the Quran and the, and the Hadith and the Islamic sources, there is no pushback. If you use the word feminism, you're going to inculcate or, or invite a lot of different ideas and doubts about what you're really trying to achieve. So use clear terms that don't have friction, that get your job done, that get you to your goal, that don't slow you down. And similarly, if you, you, know, if you choose to identify yourself as a women's rights activist, it doesn't mean that you're against you know, environmental activism or uh, child rights activism or you know, animal rights activism. It's just showing that, showing that you choose to focus on a particular stream. And as Jordan said, it doesn't mean that you don't care about those issues. So if, for example, myself as a Muslim, I choose to identify as a Muslim because I believe that is an all-encompassing term and it also covers women's rights, that doesn't mean that I'm against women's rights or, or the causes uh, that, or the issues that women face. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.